Hey guys, what's going on? You are listening to another episode of the Women for Greatness podcast. This is episode 26, and we're talking with my friend Molly Kuhn. Molly is insane. She's so humble in this podcast episode, but her life is extraordinary. She decided at 19 that she was going to go to Africa by herself for two months after previously going on one mission trip. Isn't that crazy? She had no reservations, no fears, and that moment led to her creating a nonprofit in Liberia. And it's so funny because in this episode, she's so nonchalant, you know, everything, it's fine, it's normal, but oh my goodness, this girl's amazing. You guys, I hope you take note because Molly is inspiring. Okay, so I'm gonna stop talking, but you guys, please pay attention. Molly is amazing. So, Miss Molly, thank you for hopping on a call with me this thank morning. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course, lady. So, your Instagram bio says, Christian wife, advocate for orphans, founder of Standing Side by Side, and photographer slash videographer. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> a little bit of everything. You're busy. Yeah. <laughs> so, tell me like a little overview of your life right now. What What do you do on a normal day? So my husband and I both do photography and videography for mostly weddings while we're in the States, but we also travel to Liberia, West Africa, about two or three months out of the year to work with Standing Side by Side. And then Standing Side by Side, you founded it, right? Yeah, Standing Side by Side was founded about six years ago. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so I I went to Liberia for the first time in 2011 after I graduated high school. And then Mm -hmm. I just felt the need to continue to go. And Standing Side by Side was started about six years ago, but then officially last year. Yeah. So can you kind of bring us to that first trip? Like, what did you see? What did it feel like? What was your first experience? Yeah. So when I first went to Liberia, I would have said that I was a Christian, but I wouldn't have understood salvation. So Mm -hmm. on this trip, one of my teammates shared her testimony with me, and it seemed to be the exact same kind of life story that I was going through. Um, And that was the moment that I got saved. So I got saved on this 2011 trip in Liberia, which I think is why I felt so connected to the country. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just loved it. I love the people. I immediately made best friends with a lot of the Young Life leaders and I just knew that I had to go back. Mm -hmm. Were you kind of like anxious before your trip or scared or just wondering how things would be different or you were just excited? I was really excited. Um, I grew up in a really missions-minded family. I went on my first mission trip Mm -hmm. when I was 10. So this was pretty normal, I guess. I had never been to Africa before, so that was exciting. That was the first time I'd ever gone anywhere besides Mexico. So yeah, I wasn't really nervous. I was excited. So tell me about your second trip when you went to Liberia. So after my first trip, I really felt like I was supposed to go back. I felt like God was calling me back to Liberia a second time. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I contacted a few of the Young Life leaders that I met during my first trip. And I scheduled out this whole two-month plan. Every week I was going to go somewhere different. And I went by myself, which everyone thought was crazy. And I'm 19 <laughs> years old at this point. Yeah. Pretty bold, young girl. So I ended up going to Liberia for two months the following year. And I had this whole schedule, this whole itinerary. And I knew I wanted to go to the orphanage homes that we had visited the first time. 
So when I went to Mother Blessings, which is the home that I work with now, I ended up just falling in love with the kids. I memorized all their names, like, by the second day. There's just some type of connection that I had with the children and the staff, and it just kind of felt like that was my home. And Mm -hmm. I ended up going somewhere else the second week to kind of keep up with my itinerary, and it didn't feel like that was where I was supposed to be. So I ended up going back to Mother Blessings, and that's where I've just been working ever since. Yeah, so you just you threw out your plan. Yeah, just completely. Weren't you going to go to multiple? Yeah, yeah, just completely. <laughs> I was like, it's okay. I'm just going to stay here and cancel everything else. So, yeah. Yeah. So on the on the plane ride over on that trip, you're by yourself. <laughs> you have two months allotted for this time in Liberia. Mm-hmm. What were you thinking? Um. Like, what was going through your mind? I think I was just excited to go back. I mm-hmm. felt like Liberia had become home for me. And I was just excited for what God was going to do. I had no idea what he was going to do. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't think I was nervous or anything. I I just kind of went. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't really have time to do No, nervous. I didn't. No. You were just excited. I think I was just excited. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Well, I can see when I went on my mission trip just for two weeks, my family was very anxious and I went with a group. They're like, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. Selena, you know, it's a lot different there. You should be aware. And so I could see how like family or friends would be like, oh my goodness, Molly, (laughs) what are you doing? I know there were so many people who just, they thought I was crazy. I was 19, way too young to be doing this by myself. And I, I mean, Mm -hmm. I even had people tell me that I shouldn't go and that I was way too young. Um, My family was always really supportive because I think growing up doing mission trips all the time, it was kind of our normal. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. too like out of the box for them. And I think they were excited that my life had done a 180 and that they were just kind of pushing me forward and encouraging me to just do more. Yeah. So you had no seeds of doubt when you were. No, not at all. (laughs) That's amazing. <laughs> okay. So after your first two trips, you did an experiment because you noticed that the kids weren't really eating very mm-hmm. much. And so you noticed how little they were eating. And one day you tried to match what they were eating in a day. How did that go for yeah, you? Yeah. So I kind of noticed their eating patterns. They would eat around noon, one kind of big bowl of rice, and that would be it for the rest of the day. So yeah, I kind of did a little experiment and I tried to do what they were doing and to see if I could do it. And I absolutely could not. I was so hungry. So I couldn't imagine the really little kids doing this and this being okay for them to sustain them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I tried to do it. And then after that, I just felt like, you know, if the little kids are eating only one meal a day and... I can't do it, then I think I need to provide for them more meals. So just through Facebook and just calling family and calling friends saying, hey, these kids aren't eating enough. We need to provide for them more food. People started donating money just to me personally. Like I didn't have a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any like fancy name. They couldn't write it off their taxes. People just started giving and giving. And then for the next two years, we paid for their food every month. What were you thinking? Like, I'm just one person. How could I do this? And then everybody just came in. Like, how did that work? I think I think I just took 
very small steps. If I saw a need in front of me, I would help. And then it just mm-hmm. kind of grew from there, just taking very small steps of obedience. I think my my passion for helping people in impoverished countries, everyone kind of saw that, that I did have this passion mm-hmm. and this relationship with this specific home. And people just kind of, yeah. I, I don't know, God is really faithful and he provided for the children. And that's that's kind of all I can say because it's I mean to not have a nonprofit and to not be like fully invested in this place I mean people were just giving money and it seemed crazy (laughs) yeah yeah one thing that I really admire about you and your husband is your um your resourcefulness Mm -hmm. and how you take it upon yourself to help and you don't wait for someone else to just do it because it's really easy to just see a cause and be like oh well that's for somebody else to do that's not that's not nobody specifically saying Molly go mm-hmm. do this yeah. like, <laughs> unless you have like something straight from yeah. God but you and your husband basically took it upon yourselves and saw the problem and was like okay like here's the problem this is my responsibility now and how can I handle yeah, exactly. it exactly and then so one of the things that you guys did in order to pay for the plane tickets because they're $1,800 yeah. each to go to Liberia <laughs> You took up photography, mm-hmm. Yeah, right? we did. So tell, tell us about that journey. So <laughs> he was doing photography, and I didn't know anything about photography. And he was kind of teaching me along the way as we were dating just certain things about the camera and taking pictures. And then we just started doing a few photo shoots just for, like, our immediate family and extended family. Mm-hmm. And then we posted them on Facebook and – We were like, hey, if you want to have us do your family photo shoot, this money can be donated towards our flights. And it just kind of took off. Again, I feel like God just kind of provides for us when when we need it. So, yeah, that just kind of took off. And then all of a sudden we were like, well, we kind of like doing photography. So now we're doing weddings. (laughs) So that was never even on your your radar. No, absolutely not. I didn't even have a camera. (laughs) And so when you started taking the photos, were you just like, oh, well, I guess we're doing this now. Yeah, it just kind of fell in our laps and good way to provide for our trips and sustain us here in America. (laughs) So, oh, my goodness. And then so it sounds like Facebook and word of mouth have really influenced your life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Just to get the word out and what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so I was browsing on your Instagram, and on one of the posts, I found a quote, and it was, don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds you plant. So what does that quote mean to you? I think when you're working, since we've been working in Liberia for six, seven years, and we've been investing in these children and in these people, and even if you're not working in a foreign country, just one person that you are planting seeds in, those are going to grow. And I think that's the most encouraging thing to me is because it's not up to me that we plant the seeds, we water water the seeds, and then God lets them grow. So I think that's the most encouraging thing to me about that quote is that even in my lifetime, even if I don't see people coming to Christ, or if I don't see people getting out of poverty, I know that I've planted those seeds and I have faith that God is going to grow them, even if I don't see them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
That's really good. What would you say to someone who is working really hard on something and is just anticipating quick results and anticipating a quick return? I think anything that happens fast might not be good. Not all the time, but I think the best outcomes are always from long-term investment. Um, And I've seen that happen over and over again with the kids in Liberia. I think investing long-term is just so much more rewarding, I guess, even though it's harder. Yeah. Yeah. I think we live in a culture that kind of expects a quick return sometimes, you know, instant reward, instant gratification. So, I mean, it is going against culture Mm -hmm. and going against what's normal. Yeah. It's definitely so much easier to go in and kind of, and we did this on my first trip to Liberia and it really bothered me a little bit. We went into an orphanage home, the same orphanage home that I'm working with now. And we went Mm -hmm. for 30 minutes. I didn't know any of the kids' names. I barely had time to speak to any of them. And we ended up leaving money and then left. And Mm -hmm. that approach to missions is really simple, really easy. You kind of go in, you really don't have to get to know anyone, which is obviously the hard part. Yeah. And you leave money and then you just kind of leave. So I've seen it both ways. And I think the short term is definitely easier for us because we don't get vulnerable with the people and we don't have that relationship. And I Mm -hmm. mean, even, even living in America, it's so much easier to just kind of say, Hey to your neighbor and just pass on by. And it's so much harder to go in their house and cultivate that relationship with them. So, I mean, it's hard in both places. Yeah. So why is it important that we should develop the skill of listening and develop the skill of leaning into the people around us? Yeah, I think for us, and I'm just referring to Liberia because this is where I've done most of my ministry, but with standing side by side, one of our biggest core values is equality and relationships. And to make ourselves equal with the people in Liberia so that we can build those relationships. And Corey and I both think, and the staff through Standing Side by Side, we all think that through relationships is your best opportunity to share the gospel. Mm-hmm. So even, even here in America, I mean, if you go up to someone and share something with them or you really want them to know something, they're not going to listen to you unless if you have that relationship with them. Mm-hmm. So I think that's... I think that's huge, building that relationship and being side by side with people through the ups and the downs and the bad days and the good days, because that'll give you the most opportunity to speak truth into their life. Yeah. And then I think with listening too, it can also be hard because you're putting yourself in a place of compassion for Mm -hmm. them. Yeah. And as I mean, I'm sure you've heard some very hard stories, but as they talk about it and explain, you know, your heart breaks for them. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I think listening can just be so, so much more than just, oh, listen, listen. It's like, no, like, feel the pain that I went through and understand me better. Yeah, exactly. 
How have you seen that firsthand with your friend Rufus? So Rufus always comes to mind when I think of our mission's philosophy and how and our core values. He also comes to mind with that quote that you just shared on my Instagram, just planting seeds over and over and over again. But Rufus was a little boy that I met on, I technically met him on my first trip, but I didn't really get to know him until 2012. And he was stuck to my hip. And I think everywhere I went, he was there. Um, And he lived at the home with his mom. So his mom was one of our staff members. So he did have a parent, um, unlike all the other children. And his mom even said, this is your son. Every time he would get in trouble, she would bring him (laughs) to me. This is your son. (laughs) So we had a really tight relationship ever since six years ago. And a couple years ago, his mom died really suddenly, and it hit the entire home really hard. And at that point in Rufus's life, he became an orphan. Yeah. And which was so hard because a lot of the other kids are orphans and don't have any parents, but we never witnessed them losing a parent. It was always, it was way before I got to Liberia. So to be there and to witness him losing his parent and the emotional and mental, even physical toll that took on him was so hard to watch. And there were days when he would took a, he would take us to his mom's grave and we would just cry and he would say how he goes there every day. And this is a 17, 18 year old kid who's doing this all by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really heartbreaking and, but over the last six years, been continuously pouring into him, even before his mom passed away. And we've continued to do that since. And even more so, I think since his mom passed away, cause we've really been able to see how this is affecting him. And each year we would go back and I felt like he was kind of losing a little bit of himself every time I would see him next And we would have conversations with him and we would pray with him, just encourage him to make better choices and that we know that God will heal him and that his mom, his mom was a very godly woman and that, you know, we believe that we'll see her again and just encouraging him in that way. And Mm -hmm. not only just speaking to him, but also listening, like you said, like, that's so important, letting him speak and us just sitting there and crying with him and even if there were so many times and I'm not a mom biologically so but all these children I feel like are my children and I I feel like a lot of times moms don't really know what to say to their kids when they go through hard things like this Mm -hmm. and that's exactly how I felt like I would just (laughs) sit there and look at him like what do I say how can I help you know so it seems so helpless at some points and I think just sitting there and listening and holding his hand or crying with him is huge and just showing Rufus that we took the time to care and that he is absolutely worth us spending time on him because we Mm -hmm. love him and God loves him and this last trip after planting all those seeds 
and praying for him and worrying about him, (laughs) we eventually had this conversation and he decided that he did want to go to a counselor. So he made that step. He spoke to my dad, who was also in Liberia this past trip. And he looked at my dad and he said, you know, since my mom passed away, Corey and Molly and the staff have really helped me. And I feel like I've changed. And it was just like a 180 switch from, Mm -hmm. and I know he still has days where he's sad. I I can't imagine losing a parent at 18. Um, But he has more of an optimistic um, outlook, I think, on life. And Mm -hmm. to see the fruit come from all those seeds that we've planted for seven years is just also very rewarding because we know that it wasn't us who did it. Maybe he, he would like to believe that it was Corey and I who helped him through this. And, um, but we know that God's been working on his heart and that God used us in the process to help him through. And if we weren't investing long-term, if we had just come in 2012, 2013 and got to know a few of the kids and then left we would have mm-hmm. never been able to be here for, for him, which is huge for me to see this long-term investment working. Yeah, that's an amazing story. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's really heavy. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we can only look at the good or we can embrace every single part of life, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And if you're only looking at happy feel good stories you're not getting an accurate description of life exactly yeah and so you know sharing stories like rufus's story it's powerful Mm. our stories are what connect us yeah so what are some more um practical tips that we can do or use in our daily lives to really come to the place that I feel like you have a really good sense on of standing side by side with the people around us and Mm -hmm. being in the place where we can really listen to other people. What are some steps that we can take or things that we can do to really invest in the community around us and all over the world? Gosh, you make me sound a lot better. (laughs) No, you're Um, incredible. (laughs) I am not perfect at this. Uh, Gosh, I fail at this every day when I pass by people who I know probably need someone. But I think, I think it just goes back to obeying in those small ways. Like if you Mm -hmm. feel that the Lord is nudging you to help someone or to go and speak to somebody or text somebody, I think that's what you should do. You should follow that, that nudge. And people all the time will tell me, wow, like you're so amazing. You found your calling at such a young age and that's just so incredible. I wish I had found my calling at a young age. And I just kind of say, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is my calling or if we're just supposed to love the Lord and love others. And then that'll lead you to where you're supposed to be. And that's kind of my everyday practice on that is the two greatest commandments is if you love the Lord with all your heart, and you love others, then I think eventually that's how I got to where I am now. 
mm-hmm. just taking those small steps of obedience and anywhere, anywhere you're at, you can do that. Yeah. So maybe like pulling back because that's a good point that you just brought up, like my calling, my, mm-hmm. my life's purpose. You know, a lot of people are kind of wrestling with that big question, but it sounds like for you, instead of focusing on that huge, huge, humongous calling or purpose, you just, okay, what can I do right now? Yeah. What yeah. can I do today? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Instead of looking at that big picture, cause it can get really overwhelming. I mean, if you step back and you're like, what's my calling on my life? That, that even overwhelms <laughs> me a little bit. Yeah. But if you take it and you break it down into the very simple commandments that the Bible teaches us, you can live that every day. And I think it'll lead you there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some practical things that we can do to support you and to support your organization? Yeah. So obviously prayer is a huge one. We love when people say that they're praying for us and praying for the kids. And that kind of, that's kind of the glue that holds all of us together. Otherwise Mm -hmm. we would be a mess, (laughs) (laughs) but we do have a website and we would love for people to donate or people to sign up for our newsletter. We send a newsletter out every month with updates about the kids and about the home. And currently we bought 5.6 acres of land Oh wow! because we want to move the kids and also have, we're on one acre of land right now. So where the kids live is one acre with their homes, the staff homes, the farm or the oh. school. Yeah. So it's really, really compact. And I think in order for us to grow and to reach the community outside of the children's home, mm-hmm. we need more land. So that's kind of, our project right now is to finish raising money for that and then eventually raise money for buildings. So that's our greatest financial need right now. Mm -hmm. And then do you ever do like trips or take teams or how does that work? We've taken teams in the past and I think our next big trip will be in June where we take a vision team Mm -hmm. of people from my church will be going and just kind of seeing how things work and asking a lot of questions and doing a lot of listening and just to see how people can partner better if we do take short-term trips. That's awesome. If you could put one quote, a word, a saying on a giant billboard in the middle of one of the busiest cities in the world, what would your billboard say? Oh, wow. (laughs) That is a very good question. (laughs) I mean, if I had to pick like one quote, which I feel like this is very stereotypical Christian, (laughs) I would probably just put John 316 Mm -hmm. up and let it be up there for everyone to see. Mm -hmm. And then why would you put that one? I think doing anything for the sake of the gospel is important and which goes back to our verse for standing side by side, Philippians one twenty seven. I feel like anything, anything without Jesus just feels empty and with him, it just feels so fulfilled. And I don't know, there's just such a, I've, I've lived my life before I got saved in Liberia for myself. And it is a very empty feeling life. And after I got saved, everything changed. And 
I know that was because God changed my heart. And I, I want everyone that I know to feel this way. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why I would want to put that up on a billboard. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) So where can everybody follow you, find you, connect with you, be your friend? Where are you at online? (laughs) Yeah, so Instagram is a good place to connect. That's how we connected, which is mm-hmm. awesome. <laughs> so yeah, they anybody can follow us at Standing Side by Side on Instagram, or uh, my personal Instagram is Molly M Coon, and we also have a Facebook for Standing Side by Side. I do think the best place to connect with our ministry is either Instagram or receiving the newsletters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any last words or? Do you have anything I didn't get the chance to ask you that you wanted to share about? I just want to encourage people in their day-to-day life because, and I, and I truly believe this, that no matter if you're helping orphans in Liberia or if you are just raising your children, if you're doing either one of those for the sake of the gospel, then, I mean, you are a woman of greatness, which is so true. And I think as long as you are loving the Lord and you are loving others every single day, then you'll get to where you need to be. Mm-hmm. I love your wisdom. Thank you, lady. <laughs> that was so good. Thanks so much. Yeah. So did you enjoy the episode? I told you, Molly was very like, oh, you know, whatever. But what she says and what she does, it's inspiring. I love that last part she said. Being a woman for greatness, it can be helping an orphanage in Liberia, but it can also be being a mom and taking care of your kids. You know, greatness doesn't have to be this amazing, glamorous lifestyle. You don't have to have a million dollars or doctorate degrees. Pursuing greatness is pursuing that thing inside your heart that you knew you always wanted to accomplish or that tiny dream that God put inside your heart. Pursuing greatness is not wasting your life. It's making use of the time and the energy and the resources that you've been given. So friend, if any of this stuck out to you at all, if this was helpful, if you resonated with Molly's story, I would appreciate two things from you. Well, maybe three. The first, support Molly. Support standing side by side, either with your prayers or your finances. You heard the need, you heard what they're doing. And I think it's a great organization and it's a great opportunity. The second, if you haven't yet, please leave a review on iTunes for this podcast. It helps other people find the show. And I wanna just get the message out that you can create these amazing things. So please leave a review, it's like a virtual hug. And then my third ask for you, if you enjoyed this, take a screenshot of it and throw it up on your Insta story. I love creeping on profiles and checking out who's listening to the show. It kind of brightens my day a little bit because I am all about Instagram. Okay, guys, this was episode 26. I hope you enjoyed it, and I will be back next week with episode 27. Talk to you later. Bye.